Father, thank you again for all that you do for us. Thank you for godly mothers. Lord, for those who seek to instill into their children a hunger for God's word so that they can live their life accordingly. And Father, be blessed and that the truth, your truth, would be passed from generation to generation. Lord, I pray that we would quiet our hearts this morning and receive the word of God. And Lord, that the Spirit of God would help us to apply it to our lives so that, Lord, by the testimony that we have, that, Lord, we might be an influence for other people who don't know Christ to come to the saving knowledge of 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 Jesus as their Savior. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us to continue to look unto you as the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray, Father, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, but, Father, that we would persevere, that we would, Lord, just keep pressing on, as Paul said, toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ, forgetting those things that are behind even the the sins and the failures of our life that have been cleansed at the cross of Christ. We look unto you, Father, now for the blessing, God, that only you can add to this special time that you have set apart for us to come together as the people of God. We do pray in his name, Jesus. Amen. For those of you who do not know him, A.W. Tozer was an author of 40 books, many articles, and he was a pastor in the Christian Missionary and Alliance denomination. And in his day, he became very influential, calling churches and Christians to back to godliness. Tozer did not live a long life. He died at the age of 66 from a heart attack. At his funeral, his daughter said, I can't feel sad. I know dad's happy. He's lived for this all his life. And Tozer once said, we are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done leads to this one end. Tozer was not a perfect man. He had his flaws like all of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But one thing I will say about him, having read many of his works, is that he lived with eternity in view. And, and that is the way we all should be living every moment of our life. And the epithet on his tombstone simply read, A.W. Tozar, a man of God, 1897 to 1963. Now, it may seem odd for me to be talking about a man of God on Mother's Day, but I believe there are an equal or greater number of women of God in the Bible and Christian history down to this day who do not have a woman of God written on their tombstones, but it was the testimony of their lives. Striving to be a woman of God is my message this morning. 
Because it takes constant pursuit to become such a woman. It's, it's not a labor of the flesh, nor willpower alone. But it is a constant reliance upon the grace of God that is available to every believer. And I wanted to broaden the topic today on Mother's Day to all women. Because all mothers are women, but not all women are mothers or wives. There are married women who have no children. There are women who are single and not married. So being a mother or a wife doesn't, doesn't make a woman a woman of God. Nor, nor does being single. A woman of God is a woman after God's own heart. After King Saul had sinned by offering sacrifices back in the Old Testament, Israel, sacrifices that he was not qualified to offer, Samuel the prophet rebuked him in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now... You see that but now there indicates the consequences of his sin are forthcoming. They might be delayed, but they'll always come. Thy kingdom will not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Well, we all know... as as we have learned from the Old Testament, that David was that man after God's own heart. Despite some very serious sins in his life. Now, to be honest with you, he wouldn't have been my top choice, right? I might have gone with Joseph or with Daniel or, you know, someone else, Paul. He would not have been my top choice for that designation because of the great sins that he committed. But here's the difference. David was a repentant man. He sought God's forgiveness, and it was the desire of his heart to glorify God with his life, despite his great failures. So I would say to you today, ladies, no matter where you are in your journey of life, you have a God who is willing to forgive, to restore And to set you upon a new path. No women of God that I know are perfect. But like David, you must have a hunger in your heart to pursue the Lord. And as you are doing that, God transforms and conforms you into the woman that he wants you to be. Do not let the world define your womanhood. Let God define what a woman of God looks like. And do not be overly concerned with how others may judge you. If you in your heart are pursuing God, you will never meet everyone's expectations. If you're a wife and a mother, you will never meet your husband's expectations. You will never meet your children's expectations. First Samuel 16, 7 the Lord said unto Samuel, 
Do not look on his countenance, that was one of David's brothers, Eliab, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. God is selecting a new king for Israel after Saul's failure. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For the man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees what only he can see. What's in our heart. When Paul was telling a bit of Israel's history in in a synagogue in Antioch, Sidia, in Acts 13, he wrote this in verse 21. And afterward, they, Israel, desired a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will fulfill all my will. I think that latter statement there clues us in on what it means to be someone after God's own heart. It means pursuing, pursuing God's will as revealed in Scripture, not your own will. So I want to share with you this morning the, the character qualities of a woman of God. It's not exhaustive, but I want to touch on a number of them. And as a uh, takeoff from that last point where God selected David, a man after his own heart who would seek the will of God, I want to begin with this one. A woman of God desires to do the will of God. Let's go back to the scripture reading this morning. Maybe you thought it was uh, Christmas. There's nothing stopping us from reading about the birth of Christ and all those events surrounding it anytime, right? So if you look in Luke 1, in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So she was really legally married or committed to him at that point waiting only to consummation of the marriage. And he was at the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. That's an amazing statement. Favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and will be call, call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, and she's extremely puzzled at this point, how can this be? I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born 
will be called the Son of God. And now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now look at verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. As incredible as it was for Mary to process what she had just heard, put yourself in her shoes. Maybe she's 15 years old, 16, 17 years old, somewhere around there. She's thinking, you know, what are people going to think of me? Yet she responded in immediate submission because of how she saw herself in in relation to God. It was the only way she could respond. Look what it says there. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. That word handmaid is doulos. And it literally means a slave or servant. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way. Look. And Mary said, Behold the Lord's bondservant. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, what is a bondservant? Paul described himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant is someone who does the will of their master. Women of God surrender their will to God in every circumstance of life, no matter how difficult it is. And you know what? God exalts them in his his time. Mary's condition, external condition, she says, was a low estate. That means she was extremely poor. But God lifted her up. For it says that he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Now, women of God are content to wait upon God and to serve him, be it as a married woman, as a mother, or a single woman. And according to 1 Corinthians 7, a calling of God to singleness presents an opportunity for you to serve God in ways that you would be unable to do so if you were married or, or had family responsibilities with children. This is what Paul is getting at in light of the distressing times in which he lived in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. He says, For I would that all men were even as myself, not married. And later on he explains that in light of the times, the uncertainty of the times and the persecution that was coming. But every man does not have this proper charisma, is the word, this gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I mean, Queen Esther, she was a single woman chosen by God to save Israel. And I'm sure if you can think of many other women of like example. So accepting your calling in life at every stage of life is accepting God's will for you with an attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, 
in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's God's will that we are to be a thankful people. No matter what. No matter what comes our way. Secondly, a woman of God fears the Lord. We read this one before. Proverbs 31.30 Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. You're going to lose the beauty eventually, right? But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It says in verse 31, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Psalm 147, 11, The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Now, the fear of God has two essential aspects to it. Number one, it is knowing who God is in all of his majestic glory and standing in awe of him. In other words, it's reverence toward God. Spurgeon says, Who who else do you know that is high, yet humble, strong, yet sensitive, righteous, yet gracious, Powerful, yet merciful. Authoritative, yet tender. Holy, yet forgiving. Just, yet compassionate. Angry, yet gentle. Firm, yet friendly. Our God. That is our God. So the fear of God involves knowing who God is in all of his majestic glory and standing in awe of him. And secondly, the fear of God is doing what you believe God desires from you because you fear his displeasure on one hand, but even more than that, you want to please him. You desire to please him. Thirdly, a woman of God is someone who knows the Lord as her Savior. And maybe I I should have started with this one, right? Because that's where it all begins. Remember what what Mary says, if you read further in that story, you're all familiar with it, so you don't have to. But she begins her, her, her hymn of praise to God with these words, My soul doth magnify the Lord. That's called Mary's Magnificat, her hymn of praise. And then she says in verse 47 of Luke 1, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You know, the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was born without what they call the stain of original sin. And they call that the doctrine of immaculate conception. But it is not true by Mary's own testimony. Though she was his mother, Jesus was her Savior. And Mary esteems her relation to her Savior as above that of mother. Now, no woman can be a woman of God without knowing the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. It all begins with that very personal decision. That's the starting point for it all. You can never rejoice as Mary did when she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You cannot rejoice in the depths of your spirit without the knowledge that your eternal destiny 
has been secured by what Jesus did in dying on the cross. We're all headed somewhere after, after we take our last breath. And only God knows when that last breath will be taken. What then? Live like Tozer did with eternity in view. Number your days so as to apply your heart to wisdom, the scripture says. Fourthly, a woman of God grounds her life in the wisdom of God's word. Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous woman or a noble woman for her price is far above rubies. Her value exceeds anything that you can put a value upon on this earth because of the influence that she will have, the lives that she will touch for God's glory. Proverbs 31, 26 says, She openeth her mouth with wisdom. I was really thinking about that. It's better to say nothing at all than to say something that is not guided by wisdom. Because oftentimes, what we say when we're not guided by wisdom amounts to foolishness, right? We can, we can all think of times in, in our life when we only wish that we could have taken back what we said. But we couldn't. We couldn't. The damage was done. She opens her mouth with wisdom. For Samuel 18.5, David went out wherever Saul sent him. And it says, and he behaved himself wisely. Now, unfortunately, he didn't continue in that path. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. But, but David learned a lot from his sin. Unfortunately, it was a hard way to learn some of the lessons that God wanted him to know. But you read Psalm 119 and it's evidence of David's love for the wisdom in the Word of God. I mean, I think you should read Psalm... I don't, but I think I should and you should read Psalm 119 once a week at least. Mary's song of praise that we called the Magnificent in Luke 1 is evidence of what? That she knew the word of God as a young woman and she hid it in her heart. And think about it. She raised Jesus up in Scripture. And when he was just 12 years old, now I'm not discounting the fact that he had some divine insight into things, but when he was just 12 years old, he was amazing the authorities in the temple with the wisdom that he had. And later on in his life, it was said of him that no man ever spoke like this. Never man spoke like this. Paul told Timothy, from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I've preached on Proverbs 31 before in Mother's Day. But we're not doing that. We're just singling some verses out today. But I would tell you this morning that the life depicted by Proverbs 31, which is, is really more or less the idealistic woman, the woman of God in many ways, it, 
that is, demonstrates to us that her life was altogether directed by wisdom. The wisdom of God. So I put this little outline down here, and you can go and read this on your own. The Proverbs 31 woman. Verses 13 through 17 really more or less describe her, her early years. And it's home-centered. She's, she's focused on her domestic responsibilities. And then her middle years in verses 18 through 22 are sort of like years of reevaluation and change. And she becomes a little bit more business and ministry-centered. And typically, that's what you find in life. And then her later years, in verses 23 through 28, I call these her capstone years. And where do you find her? Still there beside her husband. Praying, no doubt, for her children. And John Kuntz, he said this, Mary's hymn in Luke 1 is saturated with passages and other thoughts and phrases from the Old Testament. She had hidden the word of God in her heart as a very young woman. Fifthly, a woman of God is a kind woman. And let me just stop there for a moment. Because we need a large dose of kindness in this world. And where is it going to come from if not but from the people of God? From us. Proverbs 31, 26b, she opens her mouth with wisdom. We spoke about that. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. Now, a law is something that is intended to govern or control behavior, right? That's what laws do. So what we learn here is that the law of kindness is what governs the speech of a woman of God. Proverbs 23.15 says, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins will rejoice. That's even speaking of the deeper parts of the heart, when your lips speak right things. And I'll say to you this morning that right things are often kind things. The law of kindness that governs a woman does not signal weakness. It's actually a picture of her strength. You are weak when you are out of control. You are weak when your speech is out of control. But you are strong when you are in control. And you are strong when you can control or tame your tongue. Verse 25 in Proverbs said, Strength and dignity are her clothing. And her speech is part of that dignity. She speaks as a dignified woman. Sixthly, a woman of God is adorned with the beauty, and this fits right in with kindness, the beauty of a meek and a quiet spirit. 1 Peter 3.1. 1 Peter 3.1, you can look at that if you will. 
Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be, be won by the conversation or the manner of life of the wife. While they behold your, your chaste manner of life, your, your inward beauty, purity, coupled with fear, reverence toward God, whose adorning, now it's speaking about her real beauty, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, of focusing on the external things, of wearing of gold, or of putting on apparel. But let it be, this is a stark contrast between outer adornment and inner beauty, but let it be the hidden woman of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great price. A meek and a quiet spirit is in the sight of God, who sees the depths of the heart and the inner beauty and what flows out of that. God says, It's of great value. It's a great price. A meek and a quiet spirit. What what does quiet mean? Boy, we live in a noisy world, right? I imagine, I can just imagine, some of your homes are very noisy with all the little ones running around. And sometimes you just wish you can just, like a little bird, like a little dove, fly away, right? fly away from all the noise and all the chaos and all the chores and responsibilities and all of those things and and be at peace. But this woman, she's at peace. She's quiet. And that word means tranquil or peaceful. In the inner person. And then it says she's meek, which means she is humble. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And in verse 9, same chapter, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, the tranquility makers, for they will be called the children of God. So what is he doing there in Matthew 5 with those two Beatitudes and the rest? He's describing the qualities of people who make up the kingdom of God and ultimately will make up the kingdom of God. Number seven, a woman of God trusts God. She has great faith when facing circumstances that are beyond her ability to control. Now I submit to you this morning, Ruth, godly Ruth. It says in in Ruth 1 verse 16, In very difficult circumstances, Ruth says, I will go where you lodge. She's speaking to Naomi, who had lost her husband. Thy people will be my people, and thy God, my God. You know, Ruth's amazing, really. She had the faith to believe that God was who he said he was, And even though she was not raised as a Moabite in the word of God, 
that God would provide for her and Naomi. I'll go wherever you go. Your God will be my God. And you know, God did provide for her. And Ruth is in the ancestral line of Jesus through, his, through, through her son Obed, who is the grandfather of King David. Boy, God exalts those who are of low estate when they simply trust in him, when they put their faith in him. He exalts them, as the scripture says, in, in due time, like with Mary. You know, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Blessed art thou amongst women. And then lastly, a woman of God is a woman of prayer. Let's turn to 1 Samuel. I really should read the whole thing here for up until the scriptures I want. So it says in verse 1, there was a certain man of Ramathamim, Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Now there, that's a lot said. And he had two wives. The name was Han- one was Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children, which in those days was much more difficult than it is to die. And it says, This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. See, it was, it was all God's doing. And her rival provoked her severely to make her life miserable. It says miserable. She was making her every day miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. She was childless. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said, Hannah, why are you crying? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? He really loved her. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorposts of of the tabernacle of the Lord. There in Shiloh. And what does she do? She begins to pour out her heart to God in prayer. She wanted a child from the Lord. And it says in verse 10 that she was in now bitterness of soul. That means deep grief. She was not bitter against God. She was just very sorrowful in her heart. But underline and prayed unto the Lord. What do you do? What do I do? What do women of God do in difficult circumstances? They pour out their heart to God. They pray unto the Lord. And she wept openly. 
And then it goes down in verse 12 and it says, and it came to pass, and you could underline, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth, he saw her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she had been drunken. You go down to verse 14, and Eli said unto her, how, how long will you be drunken? Put away your wine from you. See, see, people judge the outward appearance sometimes, but God looks on the heart. And Eli said unto her, How long will you be drunken? Put away wine from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, no, my Lord. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do you really know what it means to, to pour out your soul before God? It's just really to cast yourself on the mercies of the Lord. Just seek Him and Him alone because nobody else can change things. And if God isn't going to change the circumstance, then your prayer is, God, give me the grace to bear up under these circumstances. And be the woman of God that you want me to continually be. Or in the case of a man, the man of God. And then verse 17, Eli answered and said, Go in peace. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that you have asked of him. You've come here sorrowful. Go away rejoicing. Go away. Go away in peace. Because God has heard your prayer. Listen, God cares, doesn't he? He cares about all of our sorrows. Everything that we are carrying. And I think of, I think of, of women and, and the special burdens that they carry. And it's not easy growing up to be a woman of God in this culture. My word, we, we had a Supreme Court justice went through the, the hearing who can't even say what a woman is. This is a wicked culture. And, and you ladies who have children, you mothers, you're endeavoring by the grace of God to raise them up so that they will come to fear the Lord. That they will bow before this awesome God who created the heavens and the earth. And that they will serve the Lord God. That they will fear His displeasure. That the heartbeat of their heart will be a desire to please God in everything that they do. And as the scripture says, when you seek to please God, oftentimes your enemies are, will be at peace with you. When you think of Hannah in the Old Testament, you should think of Anna. In the New Testament. Another woman of God who was a woman of prayer. Luke one thirty six. This is after Christ was presented there in the temple. Remember Simeon, the godly Simeon who took him in his hands. And he said, I could die now because I, I've seen the salvation of God. He was what he was waiting for. He was waiting for that, that one moment in his life. Luke one thirty six, And there was another one there. Anna, another godly person, a woman 
a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. You know, if your heart's right with God, you never outgrow your usefulness, right? She was of great age and, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of four score and four years. But here's the key part. She departed not from the temple. That was her sacred prayer ground. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, I don't know how anyone does that, right? Unless God has selected them and called them to be a prophetess in that time for for, for his particular reasons. So just let me say this, ladies. Anna's prophetic ministry is, is not your ministry. You cannot spend your days and nights in fastings and prayer continually. But prayer must be a regular part of your life. Prayer must be a significant part of your life. You cannot ignore it if you want God's blessing on it. And I don't know how you do it in the bits of sometimes very busy routines. If you're not a wife or mother, you're probably working and your life is probably very, very busy. So where do you find time to pray? When do you find time to get alone with God? In the temple of your own heart. I can't answer that for you. But you must find that time. You must find that place to be alone with God. Prayer is the key that unlocks the storehouse of God's infinite grace and power. I'll say it again. Prayer is the key that unlocks the storehouse of God's infinite grace and power. Listen, we are in need of God's grace. Every moment of every day. As soon as you leave this place this morning, it's relatively quiet right now. Tranquil and peaceful. But I guarantee you, as soon as you go, things will change. As soon as you start your day early Monday morning, things will change. You need, you need that touch of God's infinite grace to sustain you. And you can't do anything on your own but fail. You need God's power. I need God's power on my life. And faith in this God and prayer to Him will unlock the storehouse of His infinite grace and power. My prayer is that every woman here will strive to be a woman of God. And when, when you sin like David did, who was a man after God's own heart, you are not going to let that stop you. You're going to confess your sin knowing that He is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to keep on forgiving you and cleanse you. And you will learn from those failures like David did. Even, even to the point where David said it was good that I have been afflicted, right? That, that, that I might know God. So we all will fail. You will fail. 
But you need to set your eyes quickly upon the Lord and the mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. There, there, for, there in the blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. And take your refuge in Him. No matter what people may say or how they may condemn you or judge you because you are not perfect. You take your refuge in God because He knows you and He has accepted you and you are part of His beloved in Jesus Christ. And then you go forth just like David did desiring to please only Him or mainly Him to please Him and God will bless you. Thank you, Father, for this simple word this morning. Simple truths, we all know them. But God, we need your grace and power to put them in in effect in our life. So I pray for every woman who is here, wife, mother, single, that God, your power would be evident in their life, that they would apply these truths to their own heart, and that this would be their desire. Father, to be a woman who is constantly striving to be a woman of God. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for every wife, every mother, every woman present. I truly ask your blessing upon them. Lord, they, they, it's a labor of love in the home. And, and they show the love of God wherever they go to other people. Bless them, Lord. Just, just like you, you blessed Hannah. Lift them up, Lord, just like you, you lifted up Mary from her low estate. I pray, God, that they would have a reputation among people. Even if people don't understand what Christianity is, who Jesus is, that they would know the difference, note the difference in their life. They would see how a woman of God behaves. And Lord, I just pray that you will bless all of us this morning. Thank you, Father, for the godly influence of the mothers that we've had in our life. And I just pray, Father, that as we depart, we will continually hold your word dear to us. Hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen.